you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, in case you're unaware, typically uh, we spend some time together in our reading plan that we do as a church. We're reading through uh, the New Testament together this year, kind of focusing on a chapter a day and kind of working our way slowly through the New Testament, processing as much from every chapter as we can. And uh, typically what we do is we take something from our we uh, weeding our reading that week, see what happened there, uh, our reading that week, and we just kind of dive a little deeper into it in our midweek Bible study time. Uh, so if you've been reading uh, with us and in our church plan, you have finished, hopefully today, First Peter. You'll be uh, starting Second Peter, and then you'll be reading the Gospel of John for the next couple of weeks. Now, because we've walked through First Peter on Sunday mornings, and now we're walking through the Gospel of John together on Sunday mornings, I've decided to change it up a little bit bit, which is kind of against the flow. And uh, instead of just taking a passage from 2 Timothy and then moving on to what we're reading the following week, we are looking at the entire letter uh, that Paul wrote uh, to Timothy that is titled um, 2 Timothy. And so that's where we're going to be um, again this evening. We looked at the first chapter last week. Now we're going to look at a portion of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So take your Bibles, go there, and uh, I look forward to the time that we will spend uh, with some challenging words, to be honest, uh, from the Apostle Paul. I got a question. I know it's not our norm, but I, I hope for maybe a response. How would you define the word responsibility? How would you define it? It could be one word or a sentence. Somebody said something, sorry. Or I thought they did. Could it just be me? Responsibility. How would you define it? Go. Accountable. It's a strong word. Responsibility. Go. <laughs> do what you're supposed to do. This is why we don't ask questions in here, by the way. Um, I, I, uh, I certainly love First Baptist Church, Saltillo. I don't want to be anywhere else. I hope the Lord leaves me here forever. Uh, but I have discovered that of many of the churches that I have served in, um, we are not exactly a very responsive uh, group of people when it comes to talking back. That's okay. Um, that's why I preach so long. That's why I preach so long sometimes, because y'all don't help me uh, when I'm preaching. So just, just know, uh, responsible, responsibility, what? Ownership. ownership, I like it. I like all those, accountability, do what you're supposed to do, ownership. I looked up the word just in case it helps a little bit for anybody. It means the state or fact of being answerable or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management. That's what it means, responsibility. Now, with that in mind, as far as being answerable or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management, what are some of the things that you are responsible for? Children, lots of kids. Touche. What is wrong? Yeah. Taking out the trash. Absolutely. Does he do it? Oh, Kim's not in here. Never mind. Can't, can't even pick on you. I heard, yes, ma'am. Work. Absolutely. Right. Unfortunately. I mean, yay uh, for work. What are you responsible for? There you go. That bill comes in every month, doesn't it? Right? Well, with, with those things in mind, what happens if you don't do what you are responsible for? Consequences, bills don't get paid. Did I hear doors don't get opened? There you go. Boss man doesn't show up. Everybody goes home. Isn't there like a rule of if he's not there within five minutes, everybody gets paid for the day, they can just go home? 
Or is that like school? Wasn't that like a thing if your teacher didn't show up in like 15 minutes? Was that real? Yes. Oh, okay. My, I never knew. I just didn't go sometimes regardless. So anyway, well, thinking about the word responsibility, there, there's a reason uh, for that. Second Timothy chapter two deals really specifically with the responsibilities that Timothy has as a minister of the gospel. Now, there was much that was expected of Timothy, but what I think is interesting is that it wasn't just expected of him, but it's also expected of us today. Now, maybe you've never thought about this, or at least you haven't thought about it in a while, but all Christians, yes, you don't have to be Timothy, who's the pastor of a church, or Paul, who's one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever seen, or you fill in the blank with whoever your hero is in the faith. You don't have to be any of those. If you are a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. Now, I've heard it put like this before. Here's the phrase that I've always loved. Every member is a minister, and every minister is a missionary. Now let that sink in for a moment. Every member is a minister. Member, by the way, a member of the body of Christ. Every member is a minister and every minister is a missionary. This is why we have a core value here at First Baptist that is every member is a minister. We believe every person who follows after Jesus has been created on purpose for a purpose, right? Like that's true, not just of Timothy and the responsibilities that Paul will highlight for him, but it's also true of us. As a matter of fact, it makes me think of this quote. It's from Spider-Man. Any Spider-Man fans out there? All right, me and John. Okay, we're the only ones. Thank you, John, for not leaving me in the dark. Makes me think of the quote from Spider-Man. We, we have children. They, it's their fault, not ours. We wouldn't like that. It's from Spider-Man. It's when Uncle Ben was talking with Peter about beating up a dude at school, and he tells Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. I did look this up, and apparently there's like an ancient philosopher who maybe actually said this phrase before Uncle Ben, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, Uncle Ben is one of the greatest philosophers of my generation. Now, if that statement, with great power comes great responsibility, if that statement is true, and because it's in Spider-Man, it has to be, then who who has, that's a, it's a joke, it's just, Spider-Man's not real, in case y'all are. Anyway, if the statement is true, then who has more responsibility than Christians? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Who has more power than we do? We have Jesus living in us. Please name a greater power than that. Of course we can. So if that's true and we have the greatest power ever, how much more responsibility do we now have as followers of Jesus? I love this quote from John Phillips. He writes this about 2 Timothy chapter 2 about his responsibility to the gospel. He writes, one day the books in heaven are to be opened. And he, talking about Timothy, along with the rest of us, right? We're all included in this. But he will be held accountable for what he had done with his gifts, opportunities, and responsibilities. Now let that settle for a moment. All of us are going to stand before God one day. And whatever excuses we've made to ourselves or each other or any good uh, uh, you know, reasons for not doing something that we've been able to cover up with other people or make ourselves look, whatever that might be, 
When we stand before God, everything will be laid out before him. The best way I picture this is like an audit. Now, I'm not talking about one that examines all of our financial accounts and makes sure that we're being accountable with our funds. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an audit of your life. Think about this. What if God was to do an audit of your life? What if he looks at all he's given you and examines how accountable you've been with what he's given you? What if God decided to examine your life and what you are doing for him? What would the audit look like when he got done? Now, I know I'm not trying to beat you up. Just know I've spent time and wrestled with this text long before you have, okay? But if he does, if he looks at us and what we've been doing, what would his assessment of us B. Timothy had responsibilities to the gospel, and one day he would be held accountable for those responsibilities. But Timothy's not the only one who has responsibilities to the gospel. All of us, as followers of Jesus, are responsible for what we're doing, what God has given us. That's why Paul reminds us of Timothy's responsibilities, our responsibilities, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I want to remind you of those as well. Here's the first one. We have a responsibility to serve. Y'all like my cool colors, by the way? I tried to get, I tried to get fancy for y'all. We have a responsibility to serve. The first responsibility that Paul reminds Timothy of is that he has a responsibility ultimately above anything else to serve God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read them. Here's what Paul wrote. You then, my child, talking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now listen, I don't want you to miss what Paul shows us about how we are to serve God. First of all, we serve as those who are strong. Strong because of me and you? Of course not. Strong because of Jesus. That's why Paul said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word strengthened literally means to be strong within, to be caused that. It has the meaning of being strong in soul and purpose. It's really as if Paul is telling Timothy that he can be confident in all things, not because of him, but confident in Christ. I love this quote from Bertrand Russell. He said, the problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. We see that all the time, don't we? The fanatics get whatever they want. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? But what about the ones who actually have the truth? What about the ones who actually know what's Right. We shouldn't be scared or ashamed of the one who created the universe and died for the world. We serve as those who are strong because, not us, once again, we're strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This word strengthened is the same word that's used of the Apostle Paul early on in his Christian walk. It's found in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, shortly after Paul becomes a Christian. Here's what it says. 
But Saul increased all the more in strength. There's the same word, confidence in Jesus. Now watch this. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. His confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. His confidence was in Christ. By the way, he would need this because after you read Acts 9.22, here's what happens in Acts 9.23. The people, the Jews that are listening to him, try to kill him. He would have never made it on his own. How did he do it? How did, how did he get to this point where he's writing this letter to Timothy? It was because he was strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself displayed the greatest strength as he climbed on a cross and died for you and for me. It was this grace of Christ displayed in strength that Timothy and me and you, by the way, was to cling to. This was the strength that Paul was telling Timothy about, not to back down, not to be intimidated, but to serve as those who are strong. But watch this. He also is showing him that we must serve as those who are stewards, not just as those who are strong, even though we are strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, but also that we must serve as those who are stewards. Look back at verse 2. He says, I, I love this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. As a matter of fact, this is one of the primary foundational verses for my doctoral project that I hope to finish one day before I die. This is the basis of discipleship most clearly stated by the apostle Paul. Can you imagine, by the way, learning the very truths of the New Testament, not just from opening God's word and reading it, but through actually hearing the apostle Paul teach it. Think about what Timothy has experienced in his life. Timothy learned the great truths of God through the one whom God had appointed to write it down for us today. We're reading about what Timothy got to live through. He wasn't reading accounts like we are. He was living those accounts. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be with Paul on any of his missionary journeys? Now listen, we, we only read, we only read about what Timothy got uh, to experience. We only read what actually happened, but I want to just give you a moment of what I mean by this difference. And it's really just a small moment in comparison to all that Timothy got to experience with uh, the apostle Paul and the missionary journeys that they uh, did together. But this one in particular comes from Acts chapter 16. We don't have time to read the entire story together or the account of what happens, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul comes across a town called Lystra where he meets Timothy. There is a young disciple there who apparently from his first visit, based on his grandmother and his mother who had given their lives to Jesus, they have raised their son up in the, in the basics of Christianity. Timothy is following Jesus. Paul meets him when he goes back to Lystra and Paul wants and Timothy wants to join them on their next missionary journey. And so lots of things happen. They travel here and there but eventually they reach a place called Philippi. Now Philippi according to Acts chapter 16, is a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. They stayed there, as Luke records it, for several days. Now, if you remember the account, Sunday came, they found some people down by a riverside 
praying to God, so they went and worshipped there with them. They did this for multiple days. And one day, as they were going down to the place of prayer, they met a demon-possessed slave girl. Now imagine, Timothy's with Paul. He's traveled to several places at this point. He's seen people give their lives to Jesus. He's watched revival happen. He's in Philippi. He's at some prayer meetings, and a demon-possessed slave girl comes up. She was, according to Luke, a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, this went on for several days to the point that Paul got so frustrated that he turns around, and in the name of Jesus, he casts out the demon from her. How many of you have seen a demon cast out? Really, I'd love to hear the story. Right? We might think of some people that we know a demon needs to be getting out of, right? You know what I'm saying? But Timothy got to see this. He, Paul's so frustrated, he's like, in the name of Jesus, demon, get out of this woman. And instantly, here's what Luke said, it left her. Now, watch this. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace, and the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. You probably are a little more familiar now with what's happening in the context of Acts chapter 16. They are in jail for the evening and then midnight strikes. And we know what Paul and Silas were doing at midnight in the middle of that jail. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, by the way, they're listening to all this happen. And then in the middle of their prayers, in the middle of their singing, a massive earthquake happens and the prison was shaken to its foundations. And then all the doors open up so that Every prisoner can go free. And the jailer who's responsible for all of them is just about to take his own life because he's going to die anyway for the prisoners getting out. And Paul says, wait, we're all here, bro. No need to kill yourself. And the guy is so taken back that he says, man, if your God can do this, if your God can spare me, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas share the gospel with him. You know what happens? Here's what Luke says. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. This is incredible. Timothy, by the way, is getting to witness this entire thing. He's getting to see all of this in the missionary journeys that he gets to do with Paul. He's not reading about Acts chapter 16 like we're reading about Acts chapter 16. He's remembering what took place as he's watching the life of Paul. Now then don't miss this. They're about to they're about to leave. Officials come back and say hey we found something out about Paul and Silas. They're actually Roman citizens. We had no right to beat them and scourge them and throw them in prison like we shouldn't have done it at all. But watch this. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. Now listen, I just got beaten and scourged and spent the night in prison, and apology really was a big deal for them. Those city officials who could do whatever they wanted, 
They now had to tuck their tails and they had to apologize to the very ones that they wanted to kill. Friends, listen, Timothy's watching this whole thing. That's an awesome experience of the power of the Lord. Timothy knows all these things. Then Paul says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he commands Timothy to take what he has learned and invest it in others. You know what this verse is? This verse is the greatest picture of church growth. Paul doesn't give away free prizes. He doesn't give away free trips to Rome. He doesn't offer any sort of incentive in order to get people to trust in Jesus. He simply invited them to walk with him and shared Jesus. He invested in others that could do the same. You know what happened? Multiplication happened. Think of all that God has done for you and taught you. We're stewards of what God has done and are supposed to share that with other people. Think about this question. Who are you discipling? Who are you investing in so that they can follow Jesus? I want to read verse 2 to you again. And what you have learned from me. Now let that sink in for a, mo- a moment. The me is Paul, right? There's one generation. And then the, the you is Timothy. So there's a second generation. He says, I want you to take what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and entrust to faithful men. There's a third generation. And those men that you entrust this to who will be able to teach others also. There's another generation, right? Like this is generational discipleship movement of church growth. We call it multiplication. One person passing on the faith in Jesus to another person. This is the work of the gospel. Friend, if this isn't a part of your life, then you need to let 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 set in because we have a responsibility to serve, not just as those who are strong, but also as those who are stewards. How are you keeping the church growing and reaching people as you disciple someone who then can disciple someone else? I got to hurry up. That was a long time. Let me show you this one too, though. Very rich in what Paul's teaching Timothy. We have a responsibility to serve as those who are strong, as those who are stewards, but also we serve as those who are soldiers. This is why Paul wrote to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier, right? That's the comparison that Paul makes to the Christian life, a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know what you can do right here? You can throw out any health and wealth gospel from the apostle Paul. We are enlisted in an army as soldiers. I've heard people put it like this. God didn't call sissies. He called soldiers. Now think about the soldier life for a moment. Think about boot camp, a time in which the soldier will endure all sorts of sufferings that will equip him for service. Think about how the the army toughens soldiers up so that they can handle whatever takes place in battle. Think about this. They go through tough training with endless hours, running, fighting, superior officers, drilling, long marches, constant pressure, bullying sergeants, tasteless food, and all efforts to make them strong, disciplined, and obedient. Paul's reminding us that we didn't sign up for a cruise ship. We signed up for a battleship. Maybe we're not serving like we should because we thought we signed up for an easy life. 
instead of desiring the life of a soldier that we were enlisted to be. Listen, friends, a good soldier doesn't quit just because things get difficult or dangerous. He knows his life is expendable, and he must be prepared to lay it down when required. They would have to suffer. God doesn't hand out brochures of the easy living that you'll be invited into. He enlists soldiers to engage in the battle of winning this world from the grips of devil. This isn't coming from a health and wealth preacher who's riding around in their Bentley. Paul's riding from a jail cell knowing that his life is about to end. He's about to die because he's a good soldier of Christ Jesus enduring suffering. Now listen, I read a little article this week that made me think about this even more. I've never been a soldier. I've never enlisted in the army. I've never had the experience of people who have left it all and given themselves over to something bigger than themselves like this. But I read a description of someone who enlisted in the military and they were reflecting back on their decision. I want to read you what they wrote. When I was enlisted, I was issued a uniform, a mess kit, and a gun. The day after my induction, I was given a cardboard box for my civilian clothes, which were to be packed up and shipped home. I was in the army. I had to surrender many of the rights and freedoms of my civilian life. I could no longer pursue my career in banking, attend my, my home church, live at home, engage in my favorite hobbies, or even come and go as I pleased. I could take only a little interest in politics. I was a soldier, and as such, I had to keep myself free from anything that would interfere with my being available to obey the commands of those in authority. Listen, friends, I can't think of a better illustration than the idea of a soldier of Christ Jesus. I can't think of a better illustration of the importance of us being servants of the Lord. We are more than just servants. We are soldiers who have signed our lives over to the Lord to use in whatever way he would like to use us in serving him and his purposes. We have a responsibility to serve. Let me show you this one though. Paul goes on. We also have a responsibility to sacrifice. Let's read verses 5 through 7, 2 Timothy chapter 2, because Paul takes it a little further. He moves on from the soldier and the steward, and now he presents this. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Now, these seem to be a little disconnected, but I want you to see the, the point at least that I understand from 2 Timothy chapter 2, the point that Paul's making when it comes to sacrifice. Here was the first one. We sacrifice because of the training. This is what Timothy would have to do. He would have to sacrifice because of the training. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, Paul commonly used illustrations from the different athletic events. You can find these all throughout the New Testament. Timothy, in Paul's mind, was placed in the ring. He was in the fight, and he must be willing to train himself in order to win. I mean, think about this question. What does an athlete train, or why does an athlete train, if it's not to win the prize? Think of the sacrifices elite athletes make in order to train as hard as they do. They have to devote all of their time and energy toward being able to compete according to the rules. I think about friends that I've had that were successful athletes, and then I think back and go, I would have never given up what they gave up. I would have never had the commitment that they had in order to be as successful, in order to be the best. While we were playing video games, they were training. 
While we were eating ice cream, they were disciplining their bodies. While we were staying out late rolling yards, they were getting adequate sleep to continue their training for the next day. Paul's reminding Christians to have this same type of focus when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus. There are so many people who need to hear about Christ, yet how much time do we spend wasting those opportunities? Timothy couldn't waste them. He was to continue to train and be trained in order to win the crown and accomplish what God wanted. Listen, I'm not saying you can't ever enjoy anything in your life. What I am saying is that sometimes we sacrifice what we want now for what God wants most. We sacrifice because of the training. But I want to show you this too. We sacrifice because of the toiling. There's some work out there to be done. This is why Timothy, uh, Paul reminds Timothy that it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer's work is never done, just like the work of a Christian is never done. Paul surely had farmer friends and knew of the hard work that it took to be a farmer. He knew of the early mornings and the late evenings. He knew that as soon as one thing was done, there was always something else that needed to be done. The work was never over. However, how sweet it was to taste of the hard work as they would enjoy the harvest. You know what I realize? The same thing is true of a Christian. It may be a lot of hard work to plow and to plant and to cultivate and to reap, but it's all worth it as people come to know Jesus. You may not know this, and I don't know that I'm necessarily allowed to share it. Actually, I guess I am. I don't think it matters, but Sunday morning during our response time in our 10.30 a.m. worship service, I saw Coach Reynolds coming out with a group of young men. Now, I haven't noticed this about Coach, but there are people here who would know this better than I do, but he was teary-eyed. Matter of fact, he couldn't even get out the words that he wanted to say because of how emotional he was. And here's what I realized in that moment. I don't know all the difficult struggles that Coach Reynolds has been with some of these boys. I don't know the difficult struggles that these friends who brought him out have been praying for them and talking to them and watching their ups and downs, hoping that the Lord would save them. I don't know what kind of toiling has happened on behalf of those boys. But can I tell you this? Nobody remembers any of that after Sunday morning at about 12.15. You want to know why? Because they gave their lives to Jesus. It was all worth it in the end. This is the idea of the farmer illustration of the Christian. The work, the toiling was well worth it when we see lives changed. Listen, Paul longed for Timothy to understand the different illustrations that he had given him in these last few verses. He had to be a steward. He had to be a soldier. He had to be a fighter. He had to be a farmer. Paul reminds us that we have a responsibility to serve. We have a responsibility to sacrifice. Friends, we have a responsibility to surrender. I love what happens next in these moments. Go with me. There's so many things that I felt like the Lord was showing me in these verses. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. Let's keep going. We've got to hurry up. It's your fault. Stop it. Remember Jesus Christ. Once again, Paul writing to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. By the way, how much would that go for us if we would constantly remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? The offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Hallelujah. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let this settle in for a moment. Why would Timothy have a response Responsibility, or even want to have the responsibility of surrendering everything to God. Why, 
surrender. Well, let me show you. We surrender for the sake of character. This is what Paul reminds Timothy in verse 8. Remember Jesus. Remember that offspring of David that's been preached in my gospel. Now listen, Paul brings to mind for Timothy two different names. The first one is the name David. He points out the king that all of God's people would have admired. What a mighty warrior and leader of God's people. Every great leader, Timothy included, would long to be remembered like David. He defeated Goliath. He brought Israel to new heights. He paved the way for the temple. He accumulated great riches. He honored the Lord like never before. He was a wonderful shepherd defending the flock from bears and lions. What a model. What a a word of character when you think about David. But what's even better than King David is King Jesus, the greatest picture of what every Christian should be like. He modeled what the Lord is to perfection. He shook the very foundations of the devil. He defeated sin, death, and the grave. He saved the world from their sins. He paved the way for the beginning of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. The greatest forces of the devil could not stand in his way or match his power. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Why? He's who we should be walking after. We surrender to his will and his ways so that we can become like him. We surrender for the sake of character, that of Jesus himself. We surrender for the sake of control. I love this highlight in verse 9. Paul says, I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, which by the way, Timothy knew of Paul's boldness and unwavering faith. He knew of his sufferings and what was taking place under Nero and how he would use him as an example to the world. Nero hated Christians and their faith and boldness in the face of death. And Paul was just the latest example of how much he hated Christianity. Yet Paul found glory in the fact that he could be called a criminal just as Jesus was once called a criminal. There was no way that the apostle Paul was going to back down. They killed Christ and they would kill him. I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but catch this, that last statement there in verse 9, but the word of God is not bound. Listen, I can't give you better advice ever than to tell you to get in this book and as often as you possibly can and live what you find here. Listen, they could bind Paul, but they couldn't bind the word of God. Let me just give you a couple of examples of this. There were plenty of emperors that tried to stop it. Diocletian is one in particular that's famously known for trying to destroy every copy of God's word. But can I tell you something, friends? He failed. Voltaire is another one. Once declared he would bury the Bible. That was his words. I will bury the Bible. You know what though? Not long after he died and was buried, his house was purchased by the Geneva Geneva Bible Society and was used as a place to store Bibles. How about that, Voltaire? The early translators and reformers paid a high price for printing the Bible. They were imprisoned, persecuted, burned at the stake. However, the fight was not in vain because the word of God prevailed into now several languages and translations. It could not be Bound. You know what the writer of Hebrews said? He said, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It is powerful. We surrender 
so that the word of God can control all that we do. We submit as we live our lives the way that the word tells us. We don't want to just know the word. We want to live in the world what we learn in the word. We surrender for the sake of control. Let me show you this too, though. We surrender for the sake of Christ. Verse 10 couldn't be more clear. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, Paul's saying this, I endure everything. All that suffering as a criminal, I endure it all. Why? For the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Friends, Paul was willing to accept his suffering because of what was happening for the Lord. The ministries that were started through him were amazing. The fires that were being ignited for the church through his ministry and imprisonment were worth every suffering. He knew that his life was used for the salvation of people, and that was a Enough. Friends, the devil thought he could shut him up by placing him in prison, but there was no way to stop what God had already done through the obedience of Paul. We have a responsibility to serve. We have a responsibility to sacrifice. We have a responsibility to surrender. Let me show you this last one. It doesn't have anything with it. It's short and sweet. We have a responsibility to sustain. You said, hey, what do you mean? To continue to move the gospel forward. You know what's beautiful about these last moments in 2 Timothy, this, this section in 2 Timothy chapter 2? Paul is writing, of course, to Timothy. I have no idea what he knew about it, but God was writing to me and you. He knew that after Paul was gone, someone would have to carry the mantle of the gospel. It would be guys like Timothy. He knew when Timothy was gone, there'd have to be others. He knew that in our day and time, there would have to be us to carry on what God was doing. Look at verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Friends, Paul could confidently say that he had died with Christ in order to live with him. He didn't fear death because he had died to himself a long time ago. Do you remember what he wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 8? He said, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Look at verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Listen, we can endure what takes place here because one day we will reign. Our reward is not here. It's awaiting us in eternity. But don't mistake it, friends. You can choose against it and it will not be good for you. Watch 13. I love it. 2 Timothy 2, 13. Last verse. If we are faithless, which by the way, we will be at times, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. What an incredible promise that even when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. You know how I understand this verse? I understand it as we oftentimes need second and third and fourth chances to do things right. God doesn't give up on us even when we fail the worst. Listen, are you fulfilling your responsibilities to Jesus? As a follower of Christ, do you serve him faithfully with your life? Do you sacrifice anything for him? Do you surrender whatever you must for him to receive glory through your life? Do you sustain the work of Jesus that was started long ago? Do you continue to advance the name of Christ? Each of us have responsibilities to God, just as Timothy did. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Listen, I titled this, Who's responsible. I want to present that question to you right now. Danny, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to sharing Jesus, when it comes to the church expanding and reaching the nations, who's 
who's responsible? Well, let me ask you this, friends. If you know what you're responsible at your house for and you don't do it, you know what happens. Hey, let's magnify that. If we know that Christians are responsible for advancing the gospel of Jesus, listen to me, and we don't do it, who's going to do it? No one. Who's responsible? We are responsible. Let me read this verse to you again. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's not let the gospel be hindered because we've not been responsible.